0: Do you just love this podcast so much and wish you could find a way to monetarily support us? Well, guess what? Much like NPR, we thrive on support from viewers like you. So if you love this podcast and you want to become a contributor, all you have to do is go to anchor.fm, that's A-N-C-H-O-R.fm, click the support button, and choose the amount that you want to contribute each month to our podcast this helps keep our podcast going, and it keeps the phenomenal content that you have come to know and love flowing. So yeah, what are you waiting for? Sign up today. As always, thank you so much for being a listener. We appreciate you, we see you, and we hope you enjoy the show. Spoiler alert. If you do not want this film ruined, do not proceed. There's spoilers galore. You have been warned. Welcome to Talk Classic to Me, the classic film podcast and movie club where I, Sarah Greenfield, your host and classic film enthusiast, bring in my entertaining friends to talk about classic movies or any other old-fashioned form of media that strikes my fancy. On today's show, we're talking about the film The Way We Were from 1973 with my wonderful guests, Andrew Johnson and Kyle Cirilla. Welcome to Talk Classic to Me. I am your host, Sarah Greenfield, and this week I have my wonderful guests and friends, Andrew Johnson and Kyle Cirilla is back on the show. Welcome, friends. Thanks for being here.
1: Bye.
2: Excited to be on for my first time.
0: Yay, excited to have you on. Um, so this week we watched the Barbara Streisand classic, The Way We Were from 1973. Fellas, what'd you think? I've never saw this
1: movie before. Wait,
0: you've never seen this movie?
1: No. So I was like, oh, this is going to be like a Barbara Stark fest because I've seen like, you know, the mirror has two faces. And I was like, oh, this is a real movie. I was like, oh, I have to like pay attention. <laughs> a quality film.
2: I think it was only my second time seeing it, but it's phenomenal, of course. And I mean, it is actually, yeah, a very quality film maybe a little bit more campy Barbara films that are out there. I mean, this one is, it's very solid story and enjoyed it thoroughly the second time around.
0: So the reason I chose this film is one, because we all love Barbara. That's why we're watching this together. Cause we are all fans mm-hmm. of Ms. Barbara Streisand. Um, but also this is gonna come out on election day and I was like, "Ah, oh, what about a fun political romance just in time for Election Day? So that's uh, why I picked it to come out on this day. But also, we haven't done a Barbra Streisand film. We haven't done anything with Robert Redford yet. So I thought that would be great. And then so Andrew, you had mentioned this is your second time. Mm-hmm. I have seen this movie a lot mm-hmm. and I've seen it throughout the years. So I remember when I, I, I saw it when I was younger, being so disappointed that they didn't work out in the end, that they didn't like end up together. Mm-hmm um I want to like talk about all that later on a time in my life when I actually watched this movie a lot was right do you remember when Oprah just started her network when it was Mm, owned? do you mm -hmm. remember like right at the beginning like a decade ago she bought the rights to a bunch of movies and this was one of them and she would play it like every
2: night (laughs) yes
0: (laughs) so I would watch it before I went to bed it was like on yeah um so I feel like I watched it a lot in like the 2010 era Mm, like mm -hmm. that was A solid staple for me in my house at that point. Yeah. Um, So I just wanted to shout out to Oprah. Thanks for doing that. We all liked it.
1: (laughs) I thought you were going to say that she got the rights and she was going to be in it. I thought that's where that was going. (laughs) A remake.
0: I normally think remakes are really dumb, but if Oprah did want to do that, I would fully support (laughs) her. Just, you know, just saying it. Let's do a plot synopsis of the way we were. Uh, This is quintessential Barbara Streisand, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. The film opens and you can tell it's old times because of the movies that are being shown in the movie theater they're showing us like go west with the marx brothers and and they're showing us old-timey cabs and it's new york and this is just something that i was noticing but i feel like a lot of like romance films that have like a more complicated love story do the central park open mm-hmm. like like they start the film and it looks beautiful and they're playing the way we were and the watercolor memories all that stuff but I was like oh my god this is an affair to remember and affair to remember starts this mm-hmm. way love story starts this way like all of these films that evoke emotion and our love stories that are complicated begin in this manner
2: it gave you that warm feeling you know like the streets in New York but the clean streets of New York, especially being like a film from 1973, the streets of New York were much different. So it's kind of almost looking back at a different era of New York.
0: And it's evoking cozy memories. So it's like what you just said, like New York might not have really looked this way or been this way. But we're thinking about it's the laughter that you remember whenever you remember the way you were. It's like the good times. Mm. It's the beautiful. They're just starting us off that way. So yeah, we open. It's the 40s. uh, And... This isn't going to get confusing, time hopping or anything. We meet Katie, who is Barbara Streisand. She's fiery. She's great. She's helping write for a radio show. Her boss is Dorothy's husband from Golden Girls, Stan, her Edelman. They're writing together. That's not important. But every time he comes on screen, I go, hi, it's me, Stan.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that completely totally reads but it's just him in another era
0: so yeah barbara streisand she's doing great in her life and she goes out to a nightclub and we know she's awesome because she fights for these servicemen to get into this swanky place where they're not being allowed because the guy running it's a jerk and the guy running it is also in Tootsie, which is another Sydney Pollack film. So I was like, oh, my gosh, look at those dots connecting <laughs> actors being rehired. Um, OK, so she gets them in. She sees a very handsome Robert Redford asleep on a stool in a serviceman. I was going to say costume. What are they uniform. called? In a serviceman <laughs> uniform. You know, one of those. And uh, she's flashing back. She flashes back to college. Her time in college, it's the late 30s. She's a communist because... Back then, it was different. (laughs) This was before, you know, Stalin and Hitler were buddies, I think. This was before, you know, communism was authoritarianism. Mm -hmm. Essentially, it's a different time. Um, So she's an outspoken, young, politically active communist. And uh, Robert Redford is Hubble Gardner, and he is a very like picture perfect American youth. He's on the track team, he's on the rowing team, he throws discus. Oh, I wanted to point this out because I love the way they did this in the storytelling. They show us really early on what opposites they are and how their lives are so different because they show everything being very easy for him. They show people applauding for him at his sporting events. He's constantly surrounded by people. He's a golden boy. He's smiling. He's physically fit. And then they constantly show her the other way. She's alone. She's got brown curly hair. She has to work for a living. She's like off writing for a, for the school paper. You know, they show the contrast in their two lives just in the opening credits alone, which I'm like, like, yay, I love it when there's like montage storytelling before anything's even begun. All American boy could not describe him better.
2: I mean, he is w- who inspired Ralph Lauren. Also, I mean, like, let's just point out the wig game, Barbara with the curly wig.
0: The looks, we'll get to the looks.
2: Amazing, just in the first five minutes of the film.
0: Well, cause, and they're defining time through her looks as well. And like how she's trying to assimilate, like there's so many good things in yeah. here. <laughs> But yeah, her opening wig is pretty rough. It is straight up like Annie, Orphan Annie hair. Mm. It It's not red, but it's an Orphan Annie wig for sure. But at a rally one day, a peace rally, she gives this speech and that's when Robert Redford's character is kind of like, oh, she's smart. I like her. And they continue to have like little flirtations and understandings through college and her kind of When he sees her speech, that's when he's kind of like, oh, I might like you. And then when she hears the story that he writes, she's like, oh, I kind of might like you a little too. And... We have this idea of him because we see him, you know, with his friends. We see him like as this golden boy. But then we find out that he's like he has self-awareness about it, that his his story. I forget what it's called, but it's basically like things came too easily to him and he knew it. So he has like awareness about it at least, too. So I think that's what awakens her mind like, oh, he's hot and he's a little smart. Maybe I don't know. Maybe he's got some self-awareness. They graduate. They move on. It's all these years later in New York, flashback to where we started out, her seeing him on the stool. He's drunk. She takes him home to her place. They have sex, but it's a little non-consensual. I don't know, it's a little confusing. You're you're like, go for it, Barbara, but you're also like, "Mm, can he make choices? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, But so they have sex and she's pretty open about everything. She's like, look, call me. This is where I am at any hour of the day. I'd really like to hear from you. And he does. And a relationship ensues and they date for a while, but their constant issue in their relationship is that she is too serious and too politically driven. And then he can't really be serious. He likes to make a joke of things and he likes to make things light and easy. And that's going to constantly be an issue in their relationship. Plus, his friends are kind of rich and snobby, and she doesn't really have a ton of friends, which makes me sad for her because she's great and I would be her friend. But anyway, okay. so they date for a while. They break up. They have a really great scene where she calls him and she's like, you're my best friend, please come talk to me. I just want you to be my friend. And you're like, oh, God, that's heartbreaking anyway. um, So they eventually they do get back together. And not only do they get back together, they get married. They move to Hollywood. He becomes a screenwriter. He's writing a screenplay of the first book he wrote. And they moved to this like gorgeous house in Malibu and their lives seem pretty great to me but it's not going to work out. Katie feels out of place and she is getting very political and we're at the timeline in the story of when blacklisting was starting to happen in Hollywood and her being associated with communism and her being so outspoken about, you know, the first amendment and how people aren't being allowed to like their own free speech and they're being blacklisted in Hollywood and how that sucks. She's being pretty out, like outspoken about that and Robert Redford's like, "Look, you're hurting my career. Please stop." So <sighs> break up but don't worry guys he makes sure to break up with her while she's like nine months pregnant and um having his child it's fine uh so they go their separate ways and then years later they spot each other from across a, a street i guess a street in new york and they they have like a final closure conversation that's pretty epic and then they both go their separate ways And, uh, and that's the way we were.
2: Yeah. Yes. Sweet and chocolate covered memories. Not the lyrics, but.
0: (laughs) I'm gonna say, if you haven't heard that song, like put this podcast on pause, go over to whatever music thing you listen to and listen to Barbara Streisand sing Marvin Hamlish's The Way We Were, and then come back. Mm -hmm. You will be deeply informed. You might be crying. I don't know. Okay. So yeah, that it's just epic and wonderful so like yeah let's dive into this uh i just mentioned marvin hamlish the great marvin hamlish who wrote that song he is no longer with us kyle we saw him we did all three of us see him in concert together yeah remember when we saw that idina Menzel concert and marvin hamlish was the um the pianist yeah i was pretty sure
2: i went to that or at least we talked about it a lot when i felt like i was there (laughs) i do recall it
1: it was like a couple of months before he passed so he must have like been touring with that concert tour with Adina and conducting and playing piano and stuff. So yeah, we saw him at
0: like... Yeah, 10. we saw him only a few months before he passed.
1: And he has a little he has a little cameo in the movie too. Wait, he does when? When they're watching the um, film at the house and they realize the house is bugged. <gasps> He's like one of the people in the chair. He has like an ascot and like, he didn't, he doesn't say anything, I don't think, but he's just like one of the Hollywood types. I
0: didn't know that, I love that. Oh my gosh, that's great. Good eye. Um. So I do want to say for the people at home, Marvin Hamlish was a very famous, uh, like composer for film and Broadway. And I think his most famous work that everyone would know him from would be A Chorus Line. That's like one of the most epic Broadway shows that's ever been written and he wrote it. Um. Well, like, you know, he wrote the music and the lyrics well he wrote the lyrics but also the people that whose life story it was inspired the lyrics whatever it's fine that's a whole nother
1: podcast i saw him in the beginning like you know music by Marvin Hamlet, and in the beginning especially when we're in like the the 30s and stuff you could see that he was like picking songs like really smartly for like what was going on in the scenes like where she's working at the the dance and all the kids are having fun but she's supposed to be working on it and then she's like let's go dance james woods and they're playing like uh, the big band is playing, like, on the sunny side of the street. Like, she's, like, crossing over to, like, how the other half lives. So I was like, oh, he's making some smart choices. Kyle,
0: that's so smart. Because if I'm being honest, what I was doing was just like, oh, I love this song. And I wasn't thinking about the deeper thing <laughs> behind it. Whoa. <laughs> You're correct.
1: Like, when she invites him up to her house, she turns on In The Mood. And I'm, and then, like, when I knew what happened afterwards, I was like, oh, I feel uncomfortable throughout this. But I think it's like, she is She's in the mood to do this, obviously. But I think that's kind of what was why they had it's like Arthur Lawrence wrote it that way, is like to show that like she's the one that like wanted this. And so there wasn't any kind of ambiguity that he was like thrusting himself on her, which is weird that like you have to basically that's the only way it'd be okay or something for the audience to understand that she was like the one that wanted this, but. Was in the
0: mood. Okay, first of all, thank you so much for bringing that up, because once again, I was like, oh, I love In The Mood. What a great song. Not putting two and two together of like, oh, she wants to have sex right now. She's in the mood. Duh she's the one instigating it but it is like we're operating under the assumption that he's into it too just because he's a man and we would have been operating under that assumption until like more recently you know
2: the scene starts with him throwing up because he's so drunk then stripping off all his clothes and jumping into bed so there is kind of that like oh yeah it does kind of it it does feel if he were to just like jump on top of her and be aggressive, yes, it would feel kind of grosser and weirder. But it is kind of still odd that she just gets into bed with him naked and sort of puts her arms around him and stuff. And it's like, so, you know, it's probably good that they started something but didn't finish, let's say. and yes, she just threw up. I was like, are, we are you seeing any scene of him brushing his teeth? If they start kissing, I'm, I'm out of here.
0: She really goes for what she wants. And they show that in the scene as well. She's going to find a way to make this Hubble thing possible, even if it involves him having just thrown up and being very drunk when she tries to get intimate with him. Mm. Do you guys think he actually doesn't remember? Or is he just pulling that line? And is he full of shit?
2: So I think it was intentional that they left that out. Because I do think that he remembers some sort of intimacy even if he doesn't remember all the details
1: the way that i kind of read the the storytelling was you don't even know it's katie she says something to him i think we were kind of supposed to think that it was a complete blackout like he's really kind of maybe not getting it he woke up the next day and was like oh something must have happened
2: that's a really good point actually now that i'm remembering because she does shed like a tear at the end of that scene when she says that. And I think she kind of has that realization of, even though there's flirtation and mutual attraction prior to that, he seems to be in this like boozy fog of, and and maybe there's some sort of implied, like he might've seen some things or finally had some struggles in his life, just with the military. Although, you know, later on they kind of talk about how those were easy times or whatever, her getting emotional in that scene kind of shows that she's like, She's not, even though she instigated this, she's not feeling so great about it.
1: Oh, it finally happened for me, but it didn't finally happen for us. She didn't think that part
0: through. Yeah, that's a good point. And it like goes in with this tagline of like things being so easy for him. Maybe in her mind too of like, oh my God, we've, been talking this whole time he might not even really know who i am because things like this probably just happen to him regularly because he's so handsome and if it wasn't me it was going to be that other lady or i actually might make the argument i don't know if i fully believe it or not that he does know that something happened because he does this thing where he puts a cover on almost, like he's aware of what a golden boy he is. And at the very end of the movie, when she's like, aren't you a nice Gentile boy? And he's like, no, you just put that label on me and you wanted that to be true. So I feel like he would be fine with lying to her and being like, oh, I guess, you know, sorry, I got drunk. Really good to see you. Bye. Like, I think he could have remembered something happened, but it wasn't, he didn't want to show, her like, it wasn't important yet. I can't
1: say for breakfast. It's too awkward.
0: Yes. And yes. And he should have brushed his teeth. She's making out with barf. That's some barf.
2: Although we do find out the next day that she doesn't even keep aspen in her house. So who knows if she even had mouthwash? <laughs> I mean, I assume she had a toothbrush and toothpaste that was hers. But um, no mention of mouthwash at any point.
0: <laughs> and they didn't use condoms, which I was like, girl, you are smart. Why aren't you using a condom? He is in the Navy. You do not know what he has seen. You do not know who he has slept with. He's going to get you pregnant. Wear a condom.
1: She might not be able to buy them. like, you might not be able to like buy them back in the day at the pharmacy. You know what I mean? Like, girl.
0: There was a secret scene where she put a diaphragm in.
2: Well, and of course, the scene in the bar, this prostitute's like hanging on him, you know, maybe to try to get some money out of him or whatever. But it's also just kind of like, ooh, like, you know. Maybe not the first prostitute that's, you know, been hanging all over him.
0: I didn't think she was a prostitute. I thought she was just a pretty girl who was with him because he's pretty too. Because she ends up going home with Stan.
2: He makes some sort of line where... He apparently does this with prostitutes a lot later in the movie so uh, to me it was she definitely was a prostitute
0: wait wait what when does he say something about prostitutes i am totally i really just thought she was a girl who thought he was hot because he doesn't have to like ever pay with anybody because he's so beautiful that everyone wants to sleep with him was what i the impression i was on no her. because
2: she immediately left him to go dance with stan and then they obviously go home together when katie and hubble get out of the car then he goes home with that girl. But I think later in the movie, he says something about, oh, I'm going to find a girl to have fun with tonight or something where it's sort of implied that he's a little oh. bit of a, uh, her boss is a little bit of a skis. <laughs>
0: oh, her boss is totally a skis. Yeah. I, but I just didn't, I don't know. I just got, everything comes easily to Robert Redford, including not having to pay for sex mm-hmm. was what I was thinking. And I thought that the boss maybe was lying. May, and again, she could also be a sex worker and that's fine, but- I think that the reason uh, she might have gone with Stan was because I think Stan, and I'm calling him Stan, even though that's not his character's name. I'm calling him Stan because he's Dorothy's husband on Golden Girls. But I think she goes home with him because he's a liar. Because he's like, oh, I'm going to be joining the army. And I have a whole vision in my head of like all the things he's telling women and getting them to believe about him. So I I think it might be something like that. Like I'm a producer. I have this show. I am rich. Like that's kind of what I was picturing.
2: For me, I just read like, you know sex worker right away
0: there's something i really want to talk about in general how much of an impact this movie has had on pop culture i think like It has been referenced in things that I love. Very specifically, I mean, Sex and the City, you get so many Big and Carrie vibes from this movie and they explicitly reference it on Sex and the City. A whole generation of people my age know the line, your girl is lovely Hubble because of (laughs) Sex and the City because that's what she says to Big and they reference it and they talk about ka carrie with her curly hair. so yeah the sex in the city references it gilmore girls specifically references it twice like one of their plot lines it, lorelei ends up calling luke and saying the same thing that katie says on the phone to hubble and like cites at that call she's like remember in the in the way we were and like luke rushes over to her house so it's like shows in pop culture have utilized this
1: i don't know if this is just like the story of the girl from the prime side of the tracks but the like the stuff when they're in college. I don't know if it's supposed to be Cornell, but that's what Arthur Lawrence was Cornell. So I think it's supposed to be like that kind of vibe. It is. You get like the whole like pretty in pink, but in college story, like, and we even have, like James Wood is basically Ducky. I was like, oh yeah, I was like, is that Ducky? Like, but from 1936 instead of, and I was like, oh you know, cause like he obviously has a thing for her. Like it's not gonna happen because he's not the beautiful blonde jock. And I was like, oh that's not the first time that story's been told. I feel like it's a very impressionable one for like the people that come
2: 40 years later. I definitely see those connections for sure. Um, But I, you know, for me, I think it was more really about a lot of the, the scenes, like, you know, the boat through Central Park and maybe that had been done before too, but just the shots felt very like they definitely were copied time and time again through movies beyond this. And I think especially in like any reference to romance films. I mean, even a film like Trainwreck, where there's the ridiculous scene where Amy Schumer's like falling in love, you know, with Bill Hader. It's like, and and actually thinking again, Amy Schumer references Barbra Streisand on the boat in the beginning of Trainwreck too. So, I mean, I feel like they're, yeah, I feel like this movie definitely had like big impact um, in other films, particularly if you think about like New York location and maybe even when they're in California, with just like the Malibu, you know, on the beach, like what would have been like more like relaxed, poor first job, you know, as a screenwriter or whatever, kind of laid back vibes. Um, but yeah, I definitely felt like with a lot of the scenery and whatnot the, and the shots um, felt very like I've seen them in other more contemporary movies.
0: There are so many things I want to unpack with this because we just touched on like all of these things. But really quick before I get into this other part about like having a Jewish woman as your romantic lead and how cool that is, I do want to say that I love like, oh, I'm poor. This is my first writing job, but I have a house on the beach in Malibu, a sailboat, a fancy car. So you're like, oh, you poor starting out writer. Oh, that must be so hard for you. Oh <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I just needed to point that out. Um So but yeah, so we're talking about like how it's touched on american film and Kyle, yeah you mentioned pretty in pink and like the other side of the tracks kind of thing but i love that that they lean into this and that we are all as an audience we are all Barbara Streisand because everyone in life. I don't think, I don't know anyone that would watch this and be like, oh, I really see myself as a Robert Redford and his friends. Like, I think those type of people maybe wouldn't watch this film. <laughs> everyone that watches it kind of feels like the outcast and the Barbra Streisand. And I love that it's like a Jewish woman who looks like a like beautiful regular person who is the lead of our film. You know, like she's the one we're rooting for. We're rooting for Hubble, too, but we're actually we're very much in her corner. And I don't know. I think that's I think it's really refreshing to see. I I personally that's kind of like Amy Schumer, too. Like she's like your regular normal human girl, Jewish lead, who also deserves to find love, even though she might not have your typical like I am perfect. What do they call it? my bleaker street beauty, you know? Mm hmm or Beekman Place, they are talking about Beekman Place, I'm sorry.
1: Like you said earlier when you were going through the synopsis, like it's also structured like that from the beginning. I mean, obviously we see it through her eyes as you go, but like you meet her first, she has kind of like this spunky attitude and you're not, even though she's kind of funny about politics, they make sure that she like is nice to the servicemen. So if you don't know about the politics, you're already like, oh, she's the good one. And then the first time you see him, he's like a drunk on a stool by not showing them starting in the thirties at school, where she's maybe not as likable or, and he's, you know, the jack on campus, by doing this thing beforehand, it makes sure that we're forced to kind of have that story with her. Because maybe you're right, like the average viewer wasn't gonna do that. Arthur Lawrence knew what he was doing by. Putting these pieces in a certain way.
0: We're also going in knowing Barbara Streisand and Robert Redford as movie stars. So, if this was like a cast of unknowns, potentially, we would really need that scene to link in with Katie. You're right. But it's also we're like given knowledge based on like, oh, this is Barbara Streisand. This is what we think about her. I mean, this is also kind of funny girl 2.0 a little bit. That's part of this love story as well, you know?
1: Well, one thing I actually was actually kind of more surprised about, or just like from a modern viewer, was how much her being jewish is like in the background kind of like it's like it's like she's a communist which obviously but like in her 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 when he's with her friends like there's never like a when they're being mean to her no one ever there's no slurs or anything It's always was just about her being like low class and stuff and i think it's maybe just like it was too that'd be too much for like the viewer at the time i feel like this was like If you had a remake of it, I think some of that would be a little more pushed forward for, like, the anti-Semitic stuff, which you were kind of like, it's there, but it's kind of...
0: Totally. One of the things I was feeling this time around was these friends love to make jokes about politics because it doesn't affect them. Like... Barbara Streisand is a Jewish woman in the 1940s the Holocaust is literally happening if she was in Germany right now she would have been murdered so it's like these people who have no stake in it no relatives in it don't have this mindset they're like it's a joke it's funny and she's like no this is actually incredibly serious this is not the thing to joke about so like I don't know, having that perspective on it and adding the layer of like, yeah, they're really waspy. They don't understand the full context of what they're doing. And it's probably coming from an anti-Semitic place as well.
1: But it's also like, they're not like, uh, our modern day, we think of people being like the liberals versus the conservatives or something like that. But this is more about like, yes, they're, she's liberal, but it's more about against like apathy, like people who are just like, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah sure they're kind of conservative because of that but like they they don't
0: know what's and apathy because it doesn't affect them sure no totally
2: it's so much more believable as a film because they aren't trying to polarize and say oh the jocks and the pretty people they're all jerks or they're one way of thinking Um, it's more complicated and nuanced than that and that's why you can see how someone like Hubble, who comes from a very different background than Katie, can actually fall in love, while at the same time have different ways of approaching how they feel about politics, or different issues that were going on, or how they, you know, treat who they spend time with, and how they treat humor, because there are times where Katie is less serious and can let laugh and let loose. And, um, you know, even the scene in the beginning when she just tells everyone in the audience, you're all beautiful, you know? She's like, we're all humans here. And, you know, and she kind of gets everyone on her side. And then unfortunately she gets pissed off when-
0: Bullied, she gets, she gets bullied.
2: bullied. Absolutely, at this rally. To Hubble's point, he sort of says to her like, you could have won them back. But for her, it's like, she's being vulnerable and getting up there and really speaking like her beliefs and for someone to like completely bully her in that moment. Uh, she, she doesn't want to necessarily get them back. She, you know, and she's embarrassed and she wants to get out of there and just say, you guys are jerks. Bye. So, you know, they're both their points have like some validity. These groups can come together, but it's super challenging and ultimately it fails, but it fails because of, I think, mainly some weaknesses in character, I would say more on Hubble's side. But I, I think also because maybe they tried to, to come together when they, they tried to compromise too much as people, when in reality they needed to be themselves, their authentic selves
0: well, and that's what the movie tells us through Barbara's hair journey. Um, <laughs> before we get to her hair journey, though, I do want to tell you what you just hit on was affecting me this time when FDR dies and Katie's really upset. And she's she says to his friends, like, I'm upset, don't make jokes about this. And he's like, look, I'm upset too and the way I'm handling it is to feel good i want to do things that make me feel good i think that's kind of the first time they show validity to his side validity to making jokes and you really see his perspective a little more so you're right i really like that they flush those things out and they make it nuanced with examples like that but back to barbara's hair so barbara's (laughs) hair journey (laughs) we start off curly got the awful little orphan annie curls Mm -hmm. then We meet her in the 40s and she's got this beautiful she talks constantly about how it's ironed she has to go to harlem to get her hair ironed so it's more straight and it's she's got this gorgeous 40s that also kind of looks 60s but that's how all movies are look and then uh she maintains that look i noticed when she went to california all of a sudden she's changed again even though her hair is still straight it's up more now Mm -hmm. they're like look another chapter of her life her hair is in updo and then finally when she becomes her full authentic self away from hubble she has curly hair again, but it's styled a little better. Yes. So she ends up with her curls, but they are styled. Hubble's hair journey is the same, same. throughout.
2: Yeah. If you're Robert Redford, your hair journey. you you know, you don't have any worries.
1: (laughs) It was in his contract to be like, it will be blonde and feathered and beautiful. It's the thirties, the forties, the fifties. We're going to go to the moon, still feathered, still beautiful, wherever location we go to.
0: Her move with him. She loves to swipe his little, his little bang to the side of his face. Yes, with
2: Barbara nail acting. And I love it too, because in the forties, she's got the red, red nail polish. So it's like ultimate Barbara nail acting. She did not win an Academy Award, but her nails could have won an Academy Award for this movie.
0: (laughs) And I love that, like, I don't think anyone's nails really were like that in the 40s. But I feel like Barbara was like, this is the one thing I will not compromise for this part. Like, you can change my hair. You can put me in these wigs. But these nails stay. I've worked too hard. They're not getting shorter. There's
1: one thing I was trying to track a little bit in her, like, fashion. And I kind of gave up on it because I don't think it goes throughout. They do put her in red. A lot. The communist red. Sometimes on purpose, like when she has that speech, I think she's wearing red on purpose. But even when in the 40s, she's like toned it down, but it's a thing of red. And then she goes to you know, with his fancy friends. And now she's wearing orange. He's like, it's like diluting a little bit, like it's not a smile red. Like I said, I gave up on it, so I just, like, already forgot.
0: I noticed in the boat scene, she was wearing a hat that was reminiscent of Funny Girl. And I was like, oh my God, are we on a tugboat? Are you heading for Nikki Arnstein? Like it was very, um, don't rain on my parade. They like did a little wink, a little nod. A nod. I noticed that, but um, I was noticing the apartments because I thought her apartment was so freaking cute and she has pops of color all over the place. Like her kitchen is red, the walls are yellow, her books are kind of everywhere. It's really fun and unique and cool. And then when he goes to Carol Ann's apartment, I swear to God, I think the only reason that scene is in there is one, so he can still be faithful to Katie. Like it's a struggle, but like, no, I'm gonna make the right choice because in the end I'm gonna make the wrong choice. But also Mm -hmm. because we had to see her apartment and we had to see how boring it was and how beige it was and see her
1: bland painting. Like the only thing on her wall is like a white painting with like a tree. That's the only thing he mentioned.
2: It, it was like her parents' apartment in a way, you know? And that kind of uh, makes you think like some of these people with money, they're probably suffocated in a way by their parents, whereas Katie's kind of like free to, I mean, she's got to work hard and, and do all these things, but she's kind of, she's not interested in that. That, that doesn't appeal to her. And she wants to be like her free self.
0: And she has a different idea of what it means to be a success too. You can already tell she's not really materially driven because you mentioned that it's like hard work versus easy. Like the rich people keep wanting things to be easy. And she's like, I don't mind hard work. Like when they go to Malibu and they're living that great life and someone's like, you're going to have even more money. You're going to be set. And she's like, I thought we were, I Mm -hmm. thought this was great. Like I'm happy with this. So yeah, for her, it's not so much about like the material things. And also you just even made me notice that getting to her apartment, she mentioned it's like a walk up. It's like a ton of floors up. Whereas like, rich lady he's like i was taking a walk i was in the neighborhood he probably took an elevator up so you know just like the two what road do you want to go down easy or hard what are the benefits of each what could happen for each and in the end hubble chooses the easy road he chooses the easy way out yeah and i i will always wonder what could have happened if they remained together even though they're fictional characters
2: one connection and you mentioned that line of course that they reference in sex in the city where i think what's interesting is he asks about his daughter and and what barbara mm-hmm. says is she's beautiful and she says mm-hmm. you know the her new husband's wonderful and the daughter's going to have like this beautiful life but what's what's amazing is that then she says to him your girl is beautiful she's saying like my girl because our daughter is kind of mine in a way is beautiful. She's saying like, oh, you got your beautiful girl, but are you really happy?
0: So when they're talking about their relationship, he, she says, wasn't it lovely? And he says, it was lovely. And so then when she said the line, it's your girl is lovely, Hubble.
2: What she's saying is like, I have, I've got my beautiful girl. You have your lovely girl, but you'll never have, you know. Like the
1: relationship was lovely. Now you have a person that's lovely. Like you have the outside, you'll never have Ooh.
0: the inside. And she says you'd be so proud of her because you're right. She starts off with the beauty and you're like, oh, that's an interesting choice to make but then she adds that you would be so proud mm-hmm. of her. And the fact that he like doesn't care about his kid or doesn't keep in touch with this kid really is telling of Hubble.
1: I was just like, what? I like, mean, it's like a time period thing or something a little bit, but like, I was like, what?
0: Also just for comedy sake, if you were like, hey, 13 year old Sarah, what's the line you remember from this movie? It was not your girl is lovely, Hubble. It was, it's the only David X. Cohn in the book. For some reason, that name really stuck with me. Maybe it's cause she says it twice. But that's, what does the X stand for? It's the only David X. Cohen in the book. (laughs) All right, that's that's the part that I remember. (laughs) Classic. Oh my God, that reminds me, there was an idea that they had in the 80s, they were gonna make a sequel to this film where Robert Redford meets the daughter but doesn't know it's the daughter. And like chaos ensues and she's just like her mother, but it's not creepy, they're not gonna have sex. (laughs) But like, it's like in context of, he somehow meets the daughter and she's just as politically active as the mother was and there's drama, but then they never ended up making it.
1: The way we are. The way we're gonna be.
0: (laughs) I still know what you did last we were. takes place on the moon
1: and his hair is
2: perfect. It reminds me also um, the scene where JJ um, and, um, Hubble are on the boat and, and they're drunk and they're drinking and they're talking about, um, JJ's who's the girlfriend. I forget her name, Carol Ann, Ugh. Carol Ann. They're talking about Carol Ann and he's like, eh, you know, she was a nobody. And which is maybe a little bit harsh thing to say, but what he says is like, wow, Katie's really somebody you're lucky that you got somebody, even though at this point, Hubble knows that they're, you know, too different for one another or whatever. But, you know, that's kind of interesting, too. And again, it kind of goes back to that. The movie isn't there's these nuances in it where it's not just like the rich, snotty people would never, you know, it's they do come around to one another in some ways.
0: Well, and it's so interesting you brought that up too, because the other, this is what I was thinking of when you were talking earlier, and I forgot to bring it back in, of like, they're remembering the past in that moment. They're like, best year, best this, best that. And the years he says are the years with Katie, and then they also talk about the warriors, And so we see him during the war, and you mentioned he has that really strong reaction when he hears the teapot of like springing to action, getting ready for combat but when he's talking about it later it's the laughter that we remember like that's the constant thing in this movie the way we think about memories it's usually from a positive perspective if we're thinking back to these times so i think that's really interesting to bring up and i love that you brought up the jj scene because that's that's a really meaningful scene too it's almost the scene where it's like he finally gets approval from his friends that's like a big approval scene and it's almost like he realizes he doesn't want that approval or that this still isn't going to work you know it's so Mm -hmm. even to hear that his friends who are snooty think Katie is somebody it's like not enough for him
2: yeah
0: it breaks my heart and he does end up with with a beige lady he ends up with someone who doesn't seem she blends in with the background you know you don't really you don't really notice her mm-hmm. not th- and that's a choice i mean i'm not saying this actress whoever it is is bad or anything but it's just like that was the choice they clearly made she's put together
2: and she doesn't really say anything or she is very she's just there
0: i've always want to know what they say to each other though because they don't show us that conversation when they first see each other right Mm -hmm. away and i'm like oh what are they saying does this lady know that this is his ex wife does this lady know that he has a daughter like i just want to know all these things that they're never going to answer for me yeah i also want to bring this other totally separate topic up but kyle mentioned a few times how arthur lawrence wrote this so people at home arthur lawrence is just such an important person in our broadway lives (laughs) like this is the man who wrote the book for west side story he wrote the book for gypsy he directed la caja fall uh he directed hallelujah baby what else he's done so many things he's broadway royalty he also wrote the film rope um which is a hitchcock film it's an excellent hitchcock film which um he was kind of given the task of like showing that two characters are gay and in a relationship but also not um, and he was a gay man um, who was like with his partner forever.
1: Um, he's known to be very kind of biatal and not necessarily like the nicest, warmest person, but also I think kind of like a genius. I didn't really know a lot about him like in film at all, but he actually had been blacklisted, which, you know, adds a whole nother aspect to this. You know, he obviously was a Jewish guy at like Cornell back in the day. So, you know, obviously he's pulling these things from his own experience.
0: Yeah, and something that was really interesting about this film, I was reading about Arthur Lawrence today, so apparently he didn't actually like this film. He didn't think it really reflected what he wrote. Um, so Kyle had mentioned uh, Arthur Lawrence went to uh, Cornell and was there in the 30s. And he met this woman who was really politically active and who got him to be politically active. And that's who he based the character of Katie on. And he wanted this to be a story about that character, about Katie. And um, he felt like when they chose Sidney Pollack as director, and he wrote this part with Barbara Streisand in mind. Because he had worked with her. He also did in his Broadway career. He uh, did I Can Get It For You Wholesale, which is Barbara Streisand's big break on Broadway. She is marmalstein go listen to that too so that's how they know each other so he wrote this part specifically for her and in his mind he was actually writing the male part for ryan o'neill um ryan o'neill was in what's up doc with barbara streisand Mm -hmm. uh so he wasn't thinking of robert redford uh but robert redford and sydney pollock are friends they work well together so sydney pollock brought robert redford on board but apparently sydney pollock and arthur lawrence did not get along sydney pollock kept arthur lawrence from the set and um wouldn't like let him do rewrites and there are so many famous uncredited writers on this including dalton trumbo who is also blacklisted the uncredited writers it's like a murderer's row a who's who of like writers in the 70s it's francis ford coppola patty shayefsky um herb gardner David Ra- Raphael, I should know him, I don't, sorry. Elvin Sargent and Dalton Trumbo. Like, so those wow. are all pretty famous, <laughs> prolific writers. Yeah. Um, but when Arthur Lawrence saw a cut of this film, he saw a rough cut, he was like, okay, this is not the story I wrote. Hubble is saying it in the movie. Oh, my God. Hubble's like, this is my story. I want to tell my story. But then when it gets produced, it's something totally different. Yeah. And that like actually happens in the making yeah. of this film. I love the outcome. I like it as a love story. Oh, he also felt like Barbara Streisand's accent was too much. He felt like it was too theatrical. And I'm like, dude, you're Arthur Lawrence. You're a theater dude. Be okay with theatrical. The rest of us are.
2: The heartbreaking moments, like when she, when she's just has given birth and, oh my God. I mean, and you just really can see what a great actress she is. I, I mean, just, she's, she's wonderful in this film.
0: And so is Robert Redford. I feel like people don't really give him credit for being a good actor. He's kind of thought of as a pretty face and he is, but I think he does a great job in this too.
2: Her character is maybe there's a little bit more emotional depth there, but I think, yeah, they're both great and they're great together. I mean, the the chemistry feels very real.
0: And it is so, so satisfying on like every level to see like a regular girl who could be you. I mean, Barbara Streisand's not regular. I cannot say that. Like, she gets to marry Robert Redford. I would love my romantic comedy dream of being like, a nice normal girl who winds up with the hot perfect guy. Like, that would be fantastic. Oh, and he's smart and lovely? Yes, please. So to like, I don't know, to watch that on screen, it's so satisfying because it's what we all, we all want at home.
1: <laughs> you know, they're purposely with the wig in the beginning and things are trying to kind of, you know, make that, Two movie stars feel more disparate than maybe they could be i mean once she gets to hollywood and she has that like the updo and she's on the boat and it's like it's like glamour glamour, glamour. yeah she's glamour with like a nose because that's her beautiful nose but it's still like once they got to there and i was like oh she's like striking
0: she looks gorgeous and her clothes are gorgeous too
2: he does mention because they talk about oh they're getting older in one scene or whatever and he's like, but you're not getting any older. He was like, how old were you? And you went to college, what, 16 or something. So there is something kind of implied that maybe she went to college really young and that um, maybe she kind of blossomed. like people almost didn't recognize her because she might have very well have worked very hard to get into college early. And I think that there's like some implication of that.
0: That was a Barbara Streisand real life thing. Barbara Streisand graduated high school at 16. So that was like a real reference to actual Barbara Streisand being young when she graduated high school. That's yeah.
2: amazing. I didn't realize
1: that.
0: I didn't either until today. <laughs> yeah, Kyle.
1: Do you know any of the differences between like his book? and what ended up on screen or like what the things he was really mad about.
0: All I know is that it was supposed to be, he wanted it to be more about her and he felt like they beefed up the Robert Redford role to what he didn't really want. Like he wanted that to be a side character and not like the main story. But yeah, I don't know the full He's answer.
1: He's very for being like, there's one right way to do my work is what people say. That there's like, there's not like a person in the room and like let's figure it out. There's a lot of like pseudo line readings and stuff is what people say or I've
0: heard. I mean, that sounds like it would track with their experience of this, but clearly, at least Barbara liked working with him because she worked with him several times, right? Right. And it's great that he would think of her.
1: Somebody, you know, he's known for like directing his own work a lot. I feel like that kind of shows that he like is a um, collaborator or a collaborator that. Um, kind of is needed in the art form that he works in, like the
0: film in. I think it's, it's really interesting that even though he felt maybe like this movie wasn't exactly what he envisioned, there's still so much of him in it, like the blacklisting stuff. I mean, he personally lived that. He really was blacklisted. Um, and his blacklisting was different than other people's because he wasn't blacklisted as long um, it was, he got blacklisted and then like left the country. And three days later, they were like, you're blacklisted you can come back. But <laughs> he had been in Europe for most of the time uh during like all of the blacklisting stuff because he was like i don't want to be in america right now peace out so he just didn't he like testified um they didn't do anything to him at the time because it was like they were like you're in theater you're not important (laughs) so he left but when he came back to do film stuff that's when they were like wait you want to do film blacklisted and he was like ah Fine.
2: When um, Barbara Barbara goes to Washington and she's there uh, protesting, Robert Redford punches this guy that, you know, is calling his wife a communist and saying all these nasty things. Um, And then when they're kind of fighting about the fact that, you know, he didn't want to have to go here. He obviously wasn't going to tell her not to go, but he really didn't want to get involved in this fight, even though he didn't agree with it. And I think um, one thing that he says is sort of like, you know, in five years, everybody's going to get hired back. Yeah. They're not going to be like credited. Maybe they're not going to get paid as much and all this, but like, eventually this will pass over or whatever. And her point really is that the reason these things get resolved is you have to get support. You have to speak your voice. And if you're not doing that, then, then it things, people just, they'll be silenced and and that's no solution
0: it's such an important part because it's the their lines there are he's like can't we just be be people can't we just be two people who like don't have to worry about this and she's like no people are their principles so you see both of their perspectives so clearly in that moment and you see both of their backgrounds so clearly in that moment it's like another highlighting example of for him like he could probably weather this she probably couldn't just based on like different factors about them based on money, based on like Jewishness, based on her being Jewish and him not like, there are so many other factors that like he can't take into account, but I, his point of view makes sense. Can't we just be individuals? Can't we just be people with each other? And, and her being like, no principles matter. I, I just think it's such a really good debate. You know,
2: he's also really making the point that let's wait and see where the cards fall on a way, because you have to remember earlier in the movie, you know, she was this pro-communist and and then she kind of has to say, oh, wait a sec, you know, they're not doing all these nice things here. But but I think her point is like, no, I'm going to speak out in support of the issue that day at hand. And, and then we'll revise later where he, he is more, I'm going to take a step back and see, you know, see how things turn out before I really like make a judgment. And it's this hard balance because I know we all probably have a lot of friends that are politically motivated and they're like really on top of like the happenings of the day, but you know, things do kind of change over time. So it's, it's challenging to put yourself out there in some ways Um, you know, you might support a candidate and all of a sudden find out later that they did a horrible crime or this. this. So I think that's why people have hesitancy with this. But to Barbara's point, it's like she's kind of saying, I can always change um, my mind about someone or something to get others to change their mind. We need to speak out and and have a voice.
0: Yeah. uh, The thing about his book that doesn't work. Barbara's like, you observe characters from the outside, but you don't live them inside. And you're like, he's more going to be like laid back on the outside observing what people are going to do and what he's saying is valid because it is scary like he's like people are too scared they're scared and they're not going to speak up and be vulnerable and barbara is so brave my god i watched i watch movies like this and i'm like i I don't know that I want to be as intense as she is all the time, but to be to be so confident and brave in yourself, and to just like speak up and be smart enough to have the words at any given moment to challenge anybody—it's just a skill that's so fun to see. You know, it's like the thing that everybody wishes they could do, but nobody can like really do it. Yeah, Barbara can. Oh
1: yeah, absolutely. That scene I think also has another layer that we to see is she's kind of shocked about how nasty and uh, that it got physical. And he's like, what did you expect? You know, he's the guy who went to war, that they were fighting for stuff. You know, she's not allowed to do that. She's a, there's a lady, so she had to be home fighting things. There's kind of that element too, he's like, I know what happens when bad things keep, you know.
0: I hadn't thought about that perspective.
1: It's kind of the first time where she's shook, I think, from some of like what's happening. And he's kind of like, see, like, what did I tell
2: Maybe she feels that if you don't speak out, things could possibly get worse. And his point is like, well, maybe we need to like, let this ride out and neither opinion is wrong it's just you know we don't have tea leaves to read the future and always know
0: we're viewing this from the future so you just like you mentioned we can see their mistakes coming so we know that katie is right in this instance and that blacklisting is bullshit and that she was correct to be in support of free speech but then we also know that like communism didn't work out so good (laughs) like you know we we know all these things that she didn't know but you're right the the idea of her being able to revise and change and kyle you brought up a great point too i had never considered that that he he actually fought in the war and knows like what that means like knows what words can lead to you brought up a personal memory for me uh one time in third grade uh there was this girl who was being mean to me and so i said some sassy shit back to her (laughs) and she jumped on top of me and started she was gonna hit me and i remember being like whoa that's like in my little baby brain like <laughs> i didn't know people could do this to you like I, I didn't i was on the, like she pinned me on the ground it yeah. was gonna hit me so um i really resonated with barbara Streisand <laughs> in the <that> moment it's <laughs> like whoa this can happen
2: but i think it's like the duality of the word fight you know like you we got to fight for our rights and fight for that there's like positive side but then fighting is also like it can be violent and horrible and nasty and so and it is sort of showing, like, both sides of their their approach and feelings to these issues.
0: One other thing about Arthur Lawrence that I just want to say in general is, like, I think it's funny that he didn't love the theatricality, I guess, of this, but I think that's what this movie does so well. Like, I think it has this balance of, like, It's a conversation-based film. So this could be something that you would see on a stage. I think this work would translate really well to a stage um, because it's a lot of two-people scenes, a lot of conversation with, like, montages interspersed throughout. I guess they're called sequences, not montages. Sorry, film people at home, but we colloquially call them montages. (laughs) (laughs) I I think that's one of the things I appreciate about the film, um, that it does... It does have a theatrical sense, but it works on film.
2: It is really like something that could easily be a play. I mean, it, and one thing that I realized watching it the second time around, I was like, wow, man, there's a lot that happens. Like all of a sudden they're like, they, you know, once they decide they're going to be together because you think they're done at some point, all of a sudden it's like, they're they're now they're in California, new location, totally different vibe. Barbara's like got her hair up and, you know, they're painting the house and, like really, kind of settling in, and and even like the scene with the, with them getting bugged and the the Picasso painting getting ripped up. I mean, there's like real drama in those scenes, and and just. You know, it, so I think it I think it just amplifies the film.
0: A lot of what I think works about it is that they do exposition through the montages. So like the way they give us new information, like the way we find out they got married is that uh, while she's decorating their house, she pulls off like the topper of the wedding cake that has the bride and the groom. Mm. So they never outright say like, we got married at this point. It's like they trust that we're smart enough to see what's going on. So then when there's dialogue, it's meaningful dialogue. It's not just like, and now we're here doing this. Can you believe it? Like. It's, it's incorporated more smoothly because of that.
1: There's a lot of story to tell. So it's like you kind of need to do that because we're going to tell, like, basically the couple's like entire life, almost, you know? It's like, we got to figure out how to cut the corner somewhere so we're not here for five hours.
0: But wait, Andrew, you just said something else, too, that I was going to add on and I don't remember what it was. What were you, you talking about? Oh, the bugging and the Picasso. I get really upset, one, because they ruined a fucking Picasso painting two that a an individual just owns a picasso painting that should be in a museum share that with the world it's not that long
1: from picasso you
0: know yeah i guess you're right it would have been like (laughs) 20 years they wouldn't have totally known yet but then the government bugging them is such a big deal and if we were watching this in the 70s we would have felt that too but watching it as a modern viewer you're like my phone listens to me it's fine but like that's a big deal that the government was bugging individuals for no real reason. Don't you well, think?
2: Well, and it's it's establishing this world of fear that Katie's saying I'm going to fight against and Robert Redford's character is really like not 100% sure he can take that, not 100% sure he's ready to lose his career, lose his family, potentially lose his life, you know. And and I don't think that necessarily makes either character stronger or weaker. It's just a reality of what this kind of fear did to people and, and how fear can like literally like kill people, you know, kill their careers, kill their um, reputation, whatever it may be.
0: That's why I love when Katie Katie yells out, what are you afraid of? She yells it out several times to crowds of people because she sees like this fear being stewed up and it's not actually based in reality. A lot of things we should be afraid of or not, and then the things we get ourselves worked up over are not, not really worth being afraid of.
1: And It's funny because like McCarthyism, which we see here, is not actually the thing that a lot of people like point to as, like, Americans losing trust in the government. It's so egregious, but it's sort of, like, that was happening to some people. It's like, once we get to Nixon, which is, like, Nixon, this is literally happening when this movie comes out, is, like, when what we, the traditional people kind of say is, like, oh, people, like, don't trust the government anymore. I think people people see the bugging in that moment, knowing that what was going on with Nixon at that time, that actually might have been kind of, like, felt real, like, real at that moment, too. Like, part of the, like, larger story, I don't get, because, like, the time period is written, even though it's coming mostly from Arthur Lawrence is people were also getting blacklisted, being worried that they were gonna be outed too at that time because all these, you know, gay people were always gay, traditionally. And so that is like, there's a, this whole other level of like you're these people getting, you know, outed as communists as a communist, and then also being outed as gay
2: people. Mm-hmm. Today, it's so much easier because, you know, we're constantly like being recorded or, you know, kind of almost oversharing ourselves but there, yeah, there. I mean, this still happens today with like revenge porn and other things. I mean,
0: well, and I'm just going to speculate on this, but I think that um one of the reasons Arthur Lawrence went to Europe for those years during all of these like witch trials uh, was because he was with his partner. He was gay. And so I think it's what Kyle is saying, too, of like it wasn't accepted socially to be gay in the 50s. Now it's so much more socially accepted. But back then it like it wasn't like it was illegal, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so yeah i i get that aspect of it too about like maybe being afraid uh like being outed not just being a communist but being outed would really hurt your career and would hurt you you wouldn't be able to continue to live your life the way that you had been and that's really sad all of this is really sad because the witch trials were ultimately it was about free speech i mean it was literally like you're not allowed to be a communist and live in this country but it was also like, but communism was just ideas so you're not allowed to have ideas and live in this country but then i guess nazis would be like we're nazis and we want to have nazi ideas so you gotta nip that shit in the bud i don't know the
1: whole idea of like our first amendment is that you have like this marketplace of ideas and you can say things that are wrong and bad and the idea is that like people won't buy that in the marketplace of ideas now that we have so much the marketplace is kind of everywhere all the time that theory might not really has problems with it but that's sort of like why you let the nazis march through some town and that's allowed is because it's also the idea that like the rest of america is gonna be like that's crazy we're not gonna allow it i mean that's sort of that's the idea that you're gonna a first Amendment speech that you wouldn't allow these communists because you think it's against american values Is like that's what the first speech is about yeah it's like about having the idea, having all the ideas so then as a mass we get to pick from them and kind of say this is what we
2: want to do thinking of this film as a period piece again it's like it's written in 73 so they've looked back and they said oh guess what that whole like big communist thing yeah that never came to fruition there wasn't communists like bombing you know or do whatever they were expecting communists living here to do so to look back but then to think you know we go through these cycles like this and um you know it's it's good to have like Have these films as reminders to really like look back and like step back and look at the situation, but also be like Katie and like fight in the moment. Some of this hate and things that um, really come out of this fear.
0: I feel like the the motto of this film is like, be like Katie, but also have fun. <laughs> it's like, be like Katie, speak up, but like have a little fun too. We've never met Rachel the daughter, but I bet you Rachel can have fun <laughs> and is politically active.
2: Hey, sweetheart, can you, can you smile for me?
0: Oof, when he's like, behave. I'm like, don't tell Barbara to behave, Hubble. You were winning that argument and then you had to go and say that and you lost. Damn it, Hubble. <laughs> can we discuss just the end Really quick because i do i want to talk about like i think a lot of people have this idea of like they broke up over politics but i think it's more of like an easy versus hard thing and i always kind of wonder i posed this question a little bit earlier i think but like do you think that hubble really did not want to write a second novel and do you think he was just giving up and taking the easy road do you think he was giving up on his dreams or do you think that it was like he was just Like, whatever you want, Barbara, I'll do. Like, I'm trying to debate what kind of person he really is. We're never going to get the answer, but is it like he really is settling in a lot of ways because it's easy and he is giving up? The only reason I think he's not giving up the idea of the novel is because after he's talking about writing for the television show, he's like, it'd make a great novel. And like, then write it, Hubble. Mm. I don't know. I, I go down this road of like, is he just choosing the easy over the hard? And what does he really want?
2: I actually think maybe the, the, the biggest issue for them is that they don't have enough in common because I think that although opposites can attract and people that are very different can have successful friendships, relationships, um, it's definitely more challenging. And I think that they're kind of on a little bit of extremes. And so as much as they really care for one another, they're attracted to one another, all these different things, it really comes down, I think, to compatibility, and I think that's why. Although it's hard for both of them, they almost know at a certain point. They just almost know, like it's not going to work. I mean, she even says it's not the affair; it's, it's that we're just probably not right for one another. And and to know that you're about to have this man's child and to be able to say that, I think there was there felt to me like a definiteness with that, and I, I think that's kind of the. The main staple and in, in why they couldn't make it work
0: the part where he tells her to give up because he's not strong enough to keep fighting her you know it's like he's like this will only keep going because you want it like please give up <laughs> i'm not the person you think i am give up oh it's heartbreaking
2: i mean relationships are a ton of compromise and I don't know, particularly, it seems like particularly him, just he couldn't do it and he didn't want to do it. But I think for her as well, he probably felt like he was putting himself out there too much. She probably felt that she was having to like silence herself too much. And I and that's where the incompatibility is, really.
0: Well, and they have that super honest conversation about, you know, style where she's like, look, I know I'm pretty, but I know I'm not a model. And like, I'm just not the right style for you. And he's like, you're correct. You are not the right style. Like, that's really brutally honest. And that gets put out there, you know, and she changes her style and it still isn't enough.
1: Where do we end in like time wise? Like when they're like, once they get their divorce and thing, like, where are we? Because some of it, I get a little like.
0: I was thinking this through today So I think doesn't it end Around like 50-ish Like the 50s so if they're talking About the bomb in my brain It would be the 60s right That's what I was thinking in my head Like that their daughter would be maybe like 10 years old Yeah Um, that's But that's just my my own brain She's like
1: the very very beginning Of like generation X You know what I mean like and this is like What America is becoming like more divorced parents and divorced kids because I think people are realizing that like, maybe you can't get married when you're 19 and it's gonna work. It's like America, like learning how to like deal with its, itself and not just forcing people to come kind of out together.
0: My theory is that in real life, this is what Barbara wanted because she ends up with like James Brolin. She like finds her Hubble gardener. Um, and I, throughout, I mean, all the men she's dated, she's dated a lot of men. And they're all very attractive. It's like she's got this hubble gardener thing to prove in her life. She's like, I am sexy, and I want to find the hunky hunky men and sleep with them. So I don't know. It's like a constant barber thing after this. I wonder. I just wonder.
1: <laughs> There's not two Barbaras there. It's flower gardener kind of thing. Like she has the flower she has the and main most of the garden and the dodo, like. Like, I think there's that that dynamic is different, but you're, I mean, the visuals, like,
0: yeah, I get Yeah, I hear what you're saying, that it's, like, she's got to be, like, the star personality, you know, she's the greatest star she is by far.
2: (laughs) Well, you're right, I mean, at least in film, anyways, I mean, uh, like, you know, yeah, she does definitely have a type, I mean, like, the blonde-haired type of guy, um... Yeah, there's a lot of similarities throughout uh, her years on film, at least.
0: I don't know how to describe Barbara because she's stunning and beautiful, but she's not like your normal everyday like model lady. So it is nice to see people that could be your friends on camera you know, crushing it and getting the attractive dude. I'm saying, it again.
1: <laughs> Having you know, 40 years of, you know, or more of film before that, where the ideal is Grace Kelly. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, she's not the Barbie doll.
0: Like there is a reason she's one of the five gay icons mm-hmm. and all of the things <laughs> the five gay icons have in common, allow me to name them for your viewers at home, Judy, Liza, Barbara, Bat, and Cher. <laughs> all of the things they have in common are that they are incredibly like strong, fierce women, but they are also, they know how to show their vulnerability as mm-hmm. well, you know? Um, and they are all people that you feel like you could know. Or you feel like you could be friends with in some way or that. You know what mm. I mean? They all kind of share those qualities.
1: Being different makes them powerful
0: too. Yes, being different makes them powerful.
1: There's more
2: than just a beautiful face, you know, even though obviously Barbara is incredibly gorgeous. I mean, I think when you look at a lot of the friends, quote unquote, in the movie, these beautiful perfect kind of women that they show, you know, there's not a lot of substance there. And um, I mean, that's boring, you know, and and boring's not attractive, quite frankly. <laughs>
0: it is annoying when women are pitted against women, but they also show like Barbara having good relationships with some of the, the ladies out in Los Angeles um, with that one woman who was blacklisted, you know, so they show her developing these relationships with more, I guess, interesting type People who aren't just necessarily there because they look like a model.
1: They have to get to eccentric Hollywood for her to kind of be celebrated by other people. Here, where, you know, the freak flags are apparently flying and that's okay. And like, they dig her social stuff because they need her they need it frankly they're like you know who knows the first amendment you know
0: that's when jj starts to actually appreciate her that's when jj comments on how beautiful she is that's when jj is like katie is somebody and so maybe it does take la and hollywood for them to realize that but i do want to bring up one thing about beekman place they're talking about beekman place like it's this upper crust thing but that's where auntie mame lives she lives on Beekman Place. So it's really funny to me that they're like associating this with like high end rich and Auntie Mame is rich, but she's also like chaotic and fabulous and like accepting yeah. LGBTQ friendly. <laughs> like she's not here for anti Semitism. So that's funny to me that that can be both of those things.
1: She'd be pretty old.
0: Then, Same time period, overlaps. She bit. would be older and she did come from money. Auntie Mame did.
1: did redo her house every five
0: scenes. So this was directed by Sydney Pollock. He started off as an actor and was good friends with Robert Redford um, and so they worked together a lot during his career. Um, Some of his famous films are Tootsie, which is fabulous, Um, Out of Africa, They Shoot Horses Don't They, This Property is Condemned, Three Days of the Condor. Those are Robert Redford pictures, Absence of Malice, a Paul Newman film that I enjoy. Um, And then more recently, he did The Firm with Tom Cruise and the remake of Sabrina, which I think is great and more people should enjoy. So that's kind of like just some of Cindy Pollock's work. Again, he's friends with Robert Redford for their whole lives, and they do a lot of projects together.
1: And Cindy Pollock is Will's dad on Will and Grace.
0: Uh, So the Barbara Streisand spelled B-A-R-B-R-A because she didn't like that people were saying Barbara. She's like, Barbara is not my name. My name is Barbara. So she changed it so it would sound like that. You'd have to read (laughs) it like that. Do you know that people wanted her stage name to be Joni Sand? Can you even imagine if she wasn't Barbara, if she was Joni Sand?
2: Somebody should be Joni Sand, though. At least for Halloween.
0: I also just want to mention people at home. At the start of the pandemic, when we were all at home, Kyle, Andrew and I, we were all on a, um, Kyle made like a Google Doc of like, what are we listening to? What do we want to share with the group that like recommendations, that kind of thing. And that was where Andrew, Kyle and I all discovered that our quarantine music was a different Barbara Streisand
1: record. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Do you guys remember that? What was yours? Mine is Color Me Barbara, right? I
1: like the second self-titled early and one. And
0: Andrew's was guilty, of right? Of course,
1: yeah.
2: Definitely would. mine would be guilty.
0: Guilty! I feel like that tracks our personalities oh, as well. Oh my god,
2: <laughs> yes. Woman in Love is like my jam.
0: <laughs> what type of Barbara album are you? It's like our best <gasps> that quiz. That's <laughs>
2: quiz. With all the covers, because her album covers are like so good.
0: More about Barbara. She is an EGOT winner, because yes, she is. People at home, obviously, you may know her from Funny Girl, Hello Dolly, What's Up Doc, The Way We Were, Yentl, The Prince of Tides, and of course, The Mirror Has Two Faces. Oh, and I'm sorry, I skipped over A Star Is Born, obviously, I'm sorry. Um, So her father died when she was one of an epileptic seizure. He was 34 years old at the time. And so she was like born in Brooklyn to Jewish parents. And as a result, she was kind of raised in poverty because it was just her mother, like bringing her up um she graduated high school at 16. she went to i forget the name of it it's like a famous high school but she went to high school with like neil diamond and like bobby fisher Mm -hmm. (laughs) um she went to high school with like other famous people she kind of makes it by singing she wants to be an actress but recognizes that her voice is just incredible so she breaks through the door to acting with singing and she sings at like gay clubs and things like that and then eventually she makes it big on broadway I can get it for you wholesale. She's 19 years old. It's a big deal for her. She's so fantastic. Um, She's got a great solo number, and she meets her future husband, Elliot Gould. They fall in love. They end up getting married eventually. What I love about Barbara is not just that she's so talented, but that she wants to do it all and does. So it's like, when she signs with Columbia Records, and this was a Columbia picture, by the way, so I was like, oh my gosh, Columbia, look at you. She signs for less money because she wants full creative control. And Barbara is someone that ends up producing and directing. And fun fact about Yentl, Richard Gere was supposed to be in it, but he wouldn't be in it if she directed. And she was like, boy, bye, Mandy Patinkin, hello. I guess he didn't wanna be in it if she was gonna be in it and direct. I also think they might've been dating at the time, which might've added a whole other layer. I like how she's like an activist for herself. You know, she really puts herself out there and is fearless. She does it all Um, because she could have just like coasted on her voice and made things easy and had that forever. But she's like, no, I want to try all these different things and all these creative facets and I want to produce and I want to direct and it's important to me. And she does. And she's great. I mean, we know Barbara today. She, She married James Brolin. They live in an epic Malibu home. And according to the play and Seller, which, did you guys ever see that one-man show? Oh, I
2: did. No, I I wanted to.
0: It's a one-man show about someone that worked in the fictional mall in Barbra Streisand's basement. There's like a doll store that he like ran.
1: You can, if you get her actual book about design, about her house, it's a real thing. She doesn't have real people in it. She has like a, it looks like a, like a 1900 street, but it's in her basement and instead of the stores having, like, stuff in it, it has, like, her memorabilia. Like This is where she keeps her, like, funny girl clothes and stuff. And it's real! Like, it's so crazy because she has a book about how she designed her house and how she likes monochromatic everything. And it's, like, a real thing. And she also is, like... So rich and crazy, probably now that, you know, she doesn't realize that that's insane.
0: (laughs) Like that story about her, where she went to Oprah's show and she wanted the microphone to be white. Did she paint it white? And Oprah was like, lady.
1: Literally, she's on Oprah in like off-white with an off-white microphone singing Smile, I believe it, from like her album, which was dedicated to her dead dog. That's one that she got cloned and she has new dog. Oh yeah. And then it's online and Oprah goes, I've never seen a white mic before on my stage. Where would that come from? She goes, oh, I had them painted last night. And Oprah's like.
0: Also, it's so funny that Barbara plays people like Katie, but at the end of the day, she just wants to be in her like white, monochromatic Malibu home with James Brolin. Like, it's really funny to me. I love my
1: brown couch and my brown curtains, and it's just all brown.
0: And that was the whole thing in the play, where she was using him for his brown hair, or becoming friends with him so he would sit in her couch so she could see if the brown went, yes oh my god god that was a good play
1: also speaking of crazy is barbara until like a couple years ago had the rights to do arthur lawrence gypsy and she was going to do a movie and she was like almost 80 and it was like gonna happen and then like the money apparently went out or whatever but like arthur lawrence like gave her the okay to do it which is insane wow
0: i mean i still would have watched it let's all be real i would have watched it oh sure um, so Robert Redford, he is one half of the great working partnership of the Paul Newman, Robert Redford friendship partnership. I said that weird, but I will always love Robert Redford more because he was such good friends with Paul Newman and I love Paul Newman so much. I love Robert Redford in his own right, but just that friendship makes me love him more. I, I mentioned he met Sidney Pollock on a movie called War Hunt. It was an early film for both of them, but Robert Redford goes on to do many films that you people at home might've seen, like, uh, The Natural, All the President's Men butch cassidy and the sundance kid sting barefoot in the park is lovely uh, great gatsby out of africa um but he really achieved success as well as a director he wins the academy award for directing he directs ordinary people a river runs through it quiz show and he actually directed um one of my acting teachers in the milagro beanfield war which didn't end up doing too great but like it's a pretty good movie. And, and my teacher was the lead in it. And he's a very lovely man. And had he had nothing but nice things to say about Robert Edford. He also directed The Legend of Bagger Vance, which I hadn't realized. and went, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Choices. <laughs> um, I didn't fully put together. So he's like, you know, he's Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. He's Sundance. So I never quite put together that he might be a tiny bit Mormon, but he was married to a Mormon woman for like, for 30 years. Wow. Okay. Because yeah, Sundance is in Utah. He does the Sundance Film Festival, he has the Sundance Channel, but yeah, he's originally from Santa Monica. And unlike Barbara Streisand, who's from New York and went to California, he's like, I'm in California. It's fabulous here. Let's move to Utah. So yeah, he does Sundance ends up being his legacy. He's famous for being like an environmental activist Mm -hmm. um, and being very handsome. His big break would have been a Broadway big break, actually. Barefoot in the Park in 1963 was what put him on the map, and they made the film of that. Yeah, that was the reason he started getting better film roles, because before that, he did a ton of television in the 60s, the early 60s. Um, And then after Barefoot in the Park, first on stage, and then they made it the film, that's when he became like a leading man. So that was like his big break. And he goes on to be in so many things. He's a handsome leading man forever. And that's, that's Robert Redford. And he recently retired from film with Our Souls at Night with Jane Fonda and The Old Man in the Sea, but it wasn't The Old Man in the Sea. It was like, I'm dying on a boat, but I can't remember the name of it. You know, that, kind of <laughs> <it>. <laughs> you know, that famous film. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Um, We've all clearly seen.
0: I wish I could remember the name. Um, so The Modern Lens, we kind of touched on this. There's like weirdness about consent and Robert Redford being drunk when they sleep together. It's interesting because they bring up like people of color in this film and they bring up the unfair treatment of people of color in this film. But then there are also no people of color in this film. So that's like a very interesting um, dichotomy there.
1: We're at Cornell. We're at like a bougie house in New York. They're not allowed to be in these spaces that we decided to... Show the
0: movie Something I just realized too, just in general, as we were talking about how when they're in New York, the New Yorkers that are like waspy aren't as nice to her, but then when they go to the Hollywood, they're like, Oh, we like you. And I'm like, Oh, because I bet you in Hollywood, the power dynamics, I bet you there are more Jewish people in positions of power where there might be writers or they might be producers. Um, I hadn't considered that before. Maybe that's also a little of their turnaround with Katie of like Oh, there's more than one Jewish person that I'm friends with now.
1: Everyone comes from somewhere else. Like nobody, you know, we're not all from like the same. Yeah, and like
2: Hubble's, Hubble's agent's a female. And it's more like women's roles, it seems there. um, And less kind of traditional everything. But
0: Although it is interesting that even then and even in the 70s, I'm sure, and even now, there are still these power structures of like white men with a young, beautiful woman and that's like always how it's going to be like all the people in power are always going to be like older white men married to younger beautiful women and you're like mm-hmm. it's still like that. Yeah. <laughs> like it's gonna be like that forever that's why robert redford and katie are refreshing like because they're not following that trope yeah yet although i was trying to figure out how old his wife was at the end because she looks older so i'm like they must they must have all been together yeah
1: she wasn't like it's inappropriate
0: she did look shocked a little bit at Katie. She looked distastefully at her. And I was like, girl, get that look off your face. That's Barbara. You should be so lucky. And you got the impression that Barbara's marriage turned out maybe more successfully. Yeah. He kind of makes comments at the end that are like, uh, maybe I shouldn't have, you know, jumped out so fast. And she's kind of like, well, you did. We're happy yeah. now. Uh, More modern lens. I mean.
1: I feel like if you did a thing about the blacklist in, in- stuff now, like you said, I think you would, there'd be like a, a gay spin on that too nowadays. I think.
0: And even uh, them bringing up that one female character where Robert Redford's character calls her a name, I'm not gonna say, that's like an unkind word for a lesbian back in the day. And Barbara Streisand doesn't defend it in the way of like, well, what's wrong with that? She defends it like, no, she's not. So it's like even, you know, the idea of like, you can't be gay.
1: James Woods, maybe he's gay. Arthur Lawrence he
0: type. He's like the Arthur Lawrence of this picture. He's like, I have a good dancer. I will also say, I guess the communism. Looking back, it's really interesting because I get why people in the early 30s were interested in the idea of communism because, like, we were going through a great depression and there were so many inequities and people wanted to, you know, the government to be held accountable. They wanted things to be equal, right? So it's like very interesting to see why someone would think that was a good idea in the 30s, but then to watch how things panned out and just see like, what a wreck it all was and how, like, liberal communists, how it could go from being, like, one, that one thing to, like, communists become authoritarian, you know?
1: And it's an idea that it's not new. Like, you've had, like, people like Emma Goldman in the turn of the century and all of, you know, with workers' rights stuff, too, where it's like your grandpa could have been a communist and now you're, like, going to college and you're communist too, so it's not like these ideas weren't, like, circling around America already. It was just sort of like they hadn't been completely flushed out by like post-war nationalism and so
0: yeah and you're right about I forget which one of you said this earlier but about like how in the 70s the idea of people were just starting to come out of being blacklisted the 70s I feel like is when people who had been blacklisted were working again and they were pissed so I feel like that does come up a lot especially in the 70s because you know like i think of lionel Stander, the guy that's in heart to heart that plays max he was blacklisted and had to go to europe forever um but then he's hired in that show and like dalton trumbo who's an uncredited writer on that like all these people who had been deeply affected by blacklisting are finally working again and being like yeah that sucked that you all did that to us so i think that's like coming up a lot in this too you guys were at the double feature portion of this show audience at home i confess normally i think about a double feature beforehand but i just did not today I mean, Funny Girl for me, I guess. If you want to watch Barbara rise to the occasion and get her a man who it won't work out, watch Funny Girl.
2: I actually think um, What's Up, Doc would be an amazing double feature because it's like such a bonkers movie.
1: And Ryan O'Neill. And it's
0: Ryan O'Neal, who was like, that was who was thought of for this. So
1: I don't know if I've actually seen this like all the way through, but I feel like somewhere in time where you get like the same time period, maybe in the 70s, but it's like looking at the past. But I'm guessing it ends a bit nicer than this. So maybe you budget like, watch it second. Well,
0: I love Somewhere in Time. I love it. It's 1980. And yes, that's a great double feature. And it's not going to end. If it, if it involves time travel, it's not gonna end great. It's like a mix. It's a bittersweet ending. But yeah, that's a great suggestion, Kyle. Somewhere in Time. And
1: Somewhere in Time, some of it was from the Michigan at the Grand Hotel. That's all I really know.
0: And there's always the question of like, wait, if she gave him the watch, how did he get back in time with the w-? It's a whole thing. And it's a romance. Um, I think just, I would just watch all the Barbara Streisands that are like quintessential Streisand. I would have a Streisand-a-thon. Um, I would watch This and Funny Girl and What's Up Doc and Yentl and Prince of Tides. And I would end with The Mirror Has Two Faces. And I might throw A Star is Born in there.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> but you have to end with The Mirror Has Two Faces.
1: Or or maybe you can watch Color Me Barbara on YouTube.
0: Oh, my God. Color Me Barbara is so good. If you can watch Color Me Barbara... <laughs>
1: But I'm in a museum in Philadelphia, which isn't Philadelphia. A weird museum she's in. Like she's not the I don't
0: know what museum she's in, but I am here for it. And then the, is that there's one? I don't remember if it's Clarmi Me Barba, but there's a PBS special where she sings to the animals in the zoo.
1: Yeah, so like the beginnings are, and then she, for some reason, is singing in with like sedated tigers in a, a studio.
0: I once heard a Barbara urban legend that I don't know if it's true or not, but I want it to be true, where she was young and she went into an audition and she was chewing gum and she took the gum out and put it under her stool and then left. And then they checked under the stool and there was no gum because she was pretend chewing gum and she was showing them what a good actress (laughs) she was. It's a Barbara Herbert legend.
2: She's like, I've got attitude, but I respect your furniture.
0: I really enjoyed the gum chewing in this film. There's a scene where they're in the 30s, and there's just gum. Barbara's chewing gum. Robert's chewing gum. They're talking. It's great.
2: Yes, lots of gum
1: chewing.
0: I, didn't
1: know, um, I go back.
0: There was a lot of gum chewing, especially early in the picture.
1: He is beautiful. But he's not a college student. And then I started watching, like, thinking, like, how are they trying to make them young? If they chew gum, they must be young and without a care.
0: Robert Redford's, like, 40, (laughs) playing a college kid. And we don't care because it's the way we were. And it spans over time. We forgive them.
2: Robert Redford playing, like, a jock. Like, doing all those athletic scenes, you're you're like, "Uh, yeah, I believe you could, like, be on the college track team probably even today.
0: Look at you, Robert Redford with your biceps. He is very handsome. Um, I love that she like mocked him for sailing and then they do some gorgeous sailing and sailing shots. And I'm like, Barbara, what do you got against sailing? Oh, I looked up her drink order.
2: Every time they meet at the bar, like he always has a drink ready for her. He always has her drink and he's got a beer and then vice versa.
0: That's cute. I didn't notice that. It was a
2: cute detail. I noticed they like if someone's running late, they like, oh, I've already got your drink for you
0: it's really sweet i think they could have made it work i think when they're older they could she was right oh, they could have made it dumb work. Dumb
2: robert redford
0: yeah robert redford you did not play the long game well no the sexiness between robert redford and barbara streisand there's like a palpable sexual tension like when he ties her shoe that's really sexy just mm-hmm. putting that out there yeah. that brought me back to the drinks but um they have a lot of uh repeats in in dialogue in lines so they first kind of connect over the beer and he's telling her about his story, he, the words he he says goodbye to her with are like, see, see you soon or see you around or something. And that's the very last thing he says to her. It's like mm-hmm. the start of their relationship, the end of their relationship. And they did that with so many things where it's like, I'm saying the same thing here that I'm going to say at the end of the relationship. They like are really mindful of the words they use, how they use them and where they use them. And I appreciate that.
2: I mean the other big one was with JJ when they're like best this, you know, but I could see like a spoof of that, you know, like best macaroni and cheese you ever had. They kind of they did it when they were young
0: because they can't connect about real things. They can only do it with games and Joe. Yeah. One of the things I wrote was Barbara, don't take sleeping pills with booze. She took sleeping pills with booze. That's not safe.
1: Also, buy some aspirin. <laughs> yeah. Buy some
0: aspirin. <laughs> Katie, you expect so much. Oh, but look at what I've got. Ah, it's great. Oh, and a moment I love too is when Robert Redford's proving himself right and he's like fighting for that writing gig with the director and he knows it's not great, but he's like saying, I learn really quickly, things come. And he's about to say easy, but he can't say it because he knows the implications of that. Ooh, it's a good Mm. moment. (laughs) I like it. I will say one thing I love about the ending too is that they're moving between each scene. There's always all this flow and they show us things are like memories because they're, you know, there's like the translucent image and we're seeing a scene behind it. But the last thing that we see is they freeze frame and it's stopped. And it's the only time in the whole film where nothing moves and they're saying like it's over. This moment in time is over, we're closing this chapter, no more memories, like no more movement. We're frozen in New York in time.
1: It's very well Crafted, And I, it feels like a well, also like a well directed film to me.
0: I feel like it doesn't get the accolades it deserves because it's a romantic film. And I think that if yeah. she, it was more of like a Robert Redford feature than a Barbara Streisand feature. If it wasn't about like a strong woman falling in love, it would probably be more revered than it is. Cause I think it is viewed as like a quote unquote, like women's picture, but it's a good picture. It's a good movie. And people need to get their head out of their ass. It
2: won Best Original Dramatic Score and Best Original Song.
0: Because it's an excellent song. It encapsulates the film. It's beautiful.
2: And it was a box office success. It made like $35 million.
0: Well, I liked it. I'm glad we watched these watercolored memories of the way we were. It's been fun to watch it at different stages in my life and see what I think, you know? Because, like, I remember when I was really young watching it, like, young teenager, the naked part. I was like, Barbara, you cut it out. Stop it. Like, don't do that.
2: You're so naughty, Barbara. <laughs>
0: That's the wrong way to go about this. And then being in my 20s, I was like, I understand now. Get I get Get you some,
1: it. girl. And now you're like, not Okay. Is not okay.
0: Now I'm like, he is incapacitated, Barbara. Do not take sexual advantage of this man. Brush your and teeth. Yes, brush your teeth, be awake.
1: Standards are really high, by the way. Yeah, brush
0: teeth and be awake, and wear a condom, obviously. Um, but I love that she entices him with food constantly, and I'm like, "Girl, you yeah. don't have to do that." But she's like, "You need to stay." I bought steak with my rations for the love of God's day. I got beer in the fridge.
2: I don't even drink beer. I know you do. I've seen you consume a lot of it.
0: That was cute when they drink beer together, but it was weird that he just had two beers.
2: She's also like, "I don't drink," and then like at the dance scene, like two minutes later, she's like like swig and gin with james woods like
1: he's a bad influence.
0: she's like i'm a good jewish girl i can't do anything bad ever and he's like well this isn't bad and she's like yeah, yeah. you're right sex and drinking are fine aspirin no but sex and drinking
2: i don't fuck with aspirin and on that note uh, uh thank you
0: guys so much for being here this was so much fun i loved having you as guests
2: oh uh, this is fun
0: we'll see you next time on talk classic to me our podcast is lovely hubble you have been listening to talk classic to me with sarah greenfield that's me my guests this week were andrew johnson and kyle Sorilla. they will be featured on our instagram page If you enjoyed our show, please introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe. And maybe even find us on Anchor.fm and become a contributing member. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at TalkClassicToMe for some awesome content and to find out what's coming up next. Thanks for listening.